In this digital first world, the old ways of recruiting are becoming obsolete. Or are they? The talent demands on every business has put TA squarely in the hot seat. Welcome to Talent Acquisition in the Trenches, a real dialogue podcast with talent acquisition pros closest to the front line. We want to talk to our peers who are actually doing the heavy lifting day in and day out. You're going to learn what their biggest challenges are and how they're being solved. I'm your host, Matt Reimer, and I'm here to talk about TA. I've been in TA for over 20 years, and what I know is that I don't know. I'm here to listen and learn just like you, no scripts, just real dialogue. Talent Acquisition in the Trenches is powered by NACR, the preeminent association for healthcare recruitment professionals focused on education, networking, and providing resources to enable our members to become strategic business partners in the ever-changing healthcare environment. My friends call me Reimer, so friends, let's create some new riffs with Reimer. Thanks for trenching in. Bruce Matos' nearly 30-year recruitment career started at the age of 18, working around the Sacramento State College campus, helping his dad, the head coach of the football program at that time, and their staffers recruit the next generation of Sacramento State Hornets to their athletic programs. Fast forward to today, where he is the AVP and Corporate Director of Talent Acquisition for Phoebe Putney Health System, a four-acute hospital system with almost 5,500 team members serving 42 counties in southwestern Georgia. In this episode, Bruce and I talk about a wide range of topics, including the challenges of recruiting to rural locations, the role of retirees in their staffing plans, recruiting over 100 RNs in 100 days, how he is navigating recruitment burnout with his team, what he looks for as he hires new recruiters, and the very important role that recruiters play in any organization. In addition to his years of experience, Bruce has moved around the U.S. and has a unique perspective on what it's like to recruit in different geolocations. Bruce, welcome to the trenches. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me in the trenches. It's it's been a while since I've had the opportunity to to be on. So thank you very much, Matt. Yeah, super excited to have you on today and uh, learn a little bit more about what's happening at Phoebe Health. I thought maybe we could just start with. Uh, Maybe learning a little bit more about the TA team at Phoebe. Kind of who who are they? Like uh, how big's the team? Kind of how many wrecks are they working on? You know that type of thing. Sure. So Matt, you know we we've, we've got a team of uh, I'd say very uh, inexperienced recruiters who have just stepped up to the task uh, coming out of this crazy pandemic. I've got twelve people on my team, uh, seven recruiters, one nurse recruitment liaison. That's a registered nurse. Uh, I've got a senior recruiter that does all of our operations work. I've got three uh, coordinators and our team does the full life cycle recruitment for four hospitals and 60 clinics uh, in a very rural part of Southwest Georgia. Right now we're pushing a little over 600 open requisitions for full-time positions uh, from everything from an administrative assistant to a zoologist if we, if we had one. But, uh, the bulk of our recruitment is on uh, registered nurses. RNs, yeah. How many? How many of that is RNs? About half of it, or like how how big is the RN load right now? Our RN load right now is about I, I'd say we're about two seventy five, mm-hmm. uh, and we're uh, we're doing pretty well. We've done uh, we've we've made some some killer uh, gained some killer ground uh, coming out of the shortage that we were faced with. 
Yeah. Yeah. You talked to me a little bit about, as we prepared for this, the, uh, the initiative that, um, you, you all pushed, uh, this idea of, uh, hiring a hundred nurses in a hundred days. Maybe talk to us a little bit about that. I'd love to learn more about, you know, kind of how did that go? Did, did you achieve the objective and, uh, you know, kind of what were some of the pillars when, when you went to, to hunt that one down? Sure. It's a, it's a, it, it was a fun initiative. I, I think that, uh, like most uh, community hospitals right now, Matt, we're faced with uh, a little bit of a shortage from pre-pandemic mm-hmm. and being in a rural part of the country, uh, just losing so many nurses to travel assignments. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had we had probably over 450 travelers at one point in our building uh, covering vacancies. And the, the challenge came from a couple of senior leaders saying, hey, uh, Matos, can your team pull 100 nurses out of your hat in 100 days? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we just recently had a compensation update uh, as we went into it. So that, that was helpful. So I sat down with uh, my three nurse recruiters and uh, asked them their thoughts. And, and we talked about some holistic, so holistic recruitment. So let's reach out to our Boomerang and alumni folks that have left us. Let's reach out to those travelers that had long uh, who, had, who had left us. Let's reach out to people that have retired recently that maybe wanted to re-enter the force. Let's tap in regionally and then out of state. And let's do some aggressive marketing and outreach. Let's use the traditional venues of LinkedIn, Facebook, Indeed. Um, we even tried to tap into ZipRecruiter and CareerBuilder just for outreach purposes and then Nursing Job Network, as well as some of the specialty sites. Hmm. Um, a little bit of our, uh, we had already done our new grad recruitment, so that wasn't much of an impact on that. Uh, but w- what came of it was instead of just hiring 100 nurses, we had 108. Um, wow, there you go. Our, our largest three-month gain uh, in five years at Phoebe. Uh, hmm. it, it, it was an enormous component, but it was picking up the phone and you know, some of us veteran recruiters would say we had to dial for dollars. Uh, mm-hmm. Picking up the phone, uh, we did an aggressive texting campaign. Uh, we went old school. Uh, we posted mm-hmm. some newspaper ads in some of the smaller communities in the area that have nursing schools and have maybe some alumni. We also did a, a snail mail mail or a postcard. So we tapped into some things that, you know, maybe we we've just thrown out the door with the current technology. So mm-hmm. it was a fantastic uh, initiative. Uh, and then afterwards I found out uh, someone said, we really didn't think you were gonna be able to do it. We just wanted to challenge your team to, to bring on some nurses. And uh, I said, well, if you're gonna throw out numbers, just be sure that our team is gonna strive and we're gonna, yeah, yeah. We're gonna exceed it. Yeah, sounds aggressive, but you know, it sounds like you, you handled it really well. I'm just kind of curious. so. You know the 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 call to action. So you, you mentioned you kind of had adjusted your compensation, and and you and I talked a, a little bit about just storytelling, and kind of you know what's in it for you know the these nurses at at Phoebe. And so, did you do anything different in your boomerang outreach, or was there anything that you're like, hey, listen, uh, if if I were to do this again, maybe even I would have done differently, or or did you feel like you're really hitting hitting on all cylinders on the campaign? So. I think that we had to change our approach because, mm-hmm. you know, many nurses today, they care less. Uh, they, they care less about the story, the community. 
They do want to be in line with your vision and values a little bit. Um, so we had to be true ambassadors to the program. And when we say there's more for you here at Phoebe as our employee value proposition, we had to tell the story uh, beyond the postcard, uh, beyond flyers, beyond our, our social media blasts that we did. When we were talking with people, we were talking about the cultural changes within the departments. We were talking about ratios. We were talking about ongoing training and how people are valued here uh, coming out of this crazy pandemic. So really had to take on that ambassadorship, uh, not sell, not talk sign-on bonuses, mm -hmm. but just talk about what we could do for people over the next three to five years and how it will be impactful for them. And so the storytelling had to come to a true peaks. Hmm. That's awesome. Now, I guess just, you know, kind of continuing in, in on that campaign specifically, you know, did, um, did the recruiters have, you know, different goals on outreach or like, how did you manage that level of volumes? Cause I'm sure, you know, you just didn't call 108 nurses and 108 agreed to, you know, come and, and, and do it. You know, did you have to amp the volume significantly over that campaign? And if so, like how, how did you as a leader kind of, um, you know, manage that and maybe keep the team motivated as you were tracking towards such an aggressive goal? So we all know that pizza parties only go so far, but food mm. is love. So I think <laughs> celebrating celebrating weekly milestones with treats and snacks, uh, I think from a leadership perspective, calling out what was working. But I also, I myself had to get in there. I had to pull in our coordinator team. I had to pull in other recruiters. And, you know, we are employee. Our employer referral program had been very, very soft before this. But also, we have a deep well, and I think I think many of us forget about our wonderful applicant tracking systems. They are a CRM, and we had close to 11 years of applicants, of applicants in there. And so really digging down, and we spread it out. So we did assignments on the different reports and lists that we pulled, especially alumni lists, retiree lists, uh, you know, past candidates that had interviewed that backed out because of money or location. So we broke it down and, you know, you do A through, you do A through D, you do uh, E through uh, J and, and, and really started to talk about what roadblocks were happening. So we, we whiteboarded it, we tracked progress, we put the goals up, uh, we kept a running tabulation of rejects. Why were people rejecting us? Because we wanted to gain that information because was it our story? Was it the location? Mm -hmm. I think another thing that helped us is we tapped into our local community and their marketing team. So we leveraged the city of Albany and uh, Lee and Doherty County, uh, Sumter County and Ward County. We went to them and asked them for unique things about our county and the counties that we reside in. And we upped our marketing materials with fast facts on the community because you're not going to find much on Google. So if you're going to yeah. do that storytelling, why is Albany the good life city? Not Albany, New York, not yeah. Albany, Ohio, but true Albany, Georgia, down here on the Florida, Alabama border. That's great. I'm curious because I'm hearing a lot uh, recently about, you know, retirees. I mean, did you have any luck pulling, you know, folks that had maybe retired through COVID, back off the bench and into the operation again? 
Yeah, we did. We we had we had a small we had some small gains, but one of the things that you want to remember is is people are coming to the end of their career life cycle, but many nurses keep their licenses active. Mm-hmm. So we had to be flexible uh, talking about six hour shifts mm-hmm. uh, rather than the norm. Most the bulk of our units are twelve hour shifts, but could we take it back to six hour shifts? Could we take it back to four hour shifts? Also deploying some of these nurses. Uh, we had shot clinics for COVID. We had flu uh, flu shot uh, components. So also taking them to put putting them out in the community to help where it's less of a grind at bedside, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. but getting kind of getting them back in uh, and introducing them into maybe a less acute uh, less acuity of situations, but where we vitally needed the help. So we did get some gains there. Uh, it was limited, but we still had it. We still brought a few people back. Um, and actually, I think they were flattered by the contact because yeah. when you retire, you know, some of us have had parents that have retired. They tend to be forgotten. And this was an opportunity to bring them back. And actually, some of them, rather than come back to work full time, we had some of those people who come back into our volunteer force. So we did see a spike in our volunteer force from the outreach. So, you know, I guess when, when we talk about bringing the community in to kind of help with the, you know, value proposition, just kind of curious also, you know, uh, of the, on this campaign specifically, did you, did you have luck relocating nurses? Um, you know, I get the, uh, for sure, get the uh, boomerang folks, the folks that left that, that they know the community, they know the infrastructure, their alumni, that, that those seem like a very, uh, important, um, you know, kind of uh, persona to, to tap into. But um, I've always kind of struggled sometimes with the ability to actually relocate an RN. Have you had some success with that? And if so, maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, we did. We had we had success with this. Uh, when we look back at where we targeted, uh, we did some of the traditional things because we get a we have a very warm winter here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we targeted some of the colder communities. I want to apologize to our friends in Chicago, Minneapolis, uh, Pittsburgh, <laughs> Pittsburgh, uh, yeah. uh, Ohio, um, you know, because those are some of the areas where you, you do get really ridiculous winters uh, from our perspective. Actually, even reached out to uh, Albany and upstate New York. Uh, mm-hmm. We're the real Albany with great weather. Um, we did have folks uh, relocate. But what we did is we reached out to our relocation partner because during COVID, there's been a, there were a lot of restrictions on moving animals, shipping things, and, and, and the price of relocation did go up. So we adjusted mm-hmm. our, our relocation packages. Uh, we had a dedicated partner that we could set up direct bill. So instead of somebody putting out-of-pocket expenses on their credit cards and spending money out of their pocket, uh, we set up direct bill. Uh, with a partner and they, and it was a partner that could handle maybe more than one move at a time. Um, and so that was a help. Uh, so we had, we had 12 people that participated in the relocation program. Uh, we got us, we got as far west as Arizona. Uh, we had uh, Texas, obviously Florida and Alabama were close, uh, close to us. We had some folks from, uh, Ohio. Um, and it, it, for, for me, you know, telling the story of, uh, of bringing people to this part of the country, you, you really got to have your, your ducks lined up. So mm-hmm. having materials on uh, the community, what, what you can do here, 
uh, and having authentic conversations on what interests uh, people and candidates. So you got to have a deeper conversation mm -hmm. because nurses do it for the love of the patient. They do it for the love of the quality of care. But what's in it for me is, is, is a big piece that we have to be able to evangelize. And also having information on schools, on on churches, on activities, uh, and having that on the tip of your on, on the tip of your finger. So rather than say, "Well, let me get back to you," you can say, "We have some of the top dove and quail hunting in the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we have a one of a kind bass in our waters called the Sholey bass that's only found in and around our community. So for the outdoors person." you know, being able to present that uh, from a cultural perspective, some of the unique things about Albany and sharing that we were we were at the forefront of the civil rights uh, movement in the 60s and 70s. And many people weren't aware of that. And you want people to embrace a community, just be ready to evangelize that. And yeah. I think that not only am I an ambassador to Phoebe Putney Health System, I'm an ambassador to the community. And I, I, I need to be able to talk about the Boys and Girls Club, the YMCA, uh, the, the Military Affairs Committee, which I'm a, a proud member of, uh, because we have a, a 4,000 uh, employee Marine Corps logistic base in our backyard. Mm -hmm. So switching gears a little bit, you know, you've, you've uh, over your you know, almost 30-year career here, right? You've been kind of all over the U.S., East Coast, West Coast, and, and I'm sure you, know, uh, you have had an opportunity with the breadth of organizations that you've you know, led or been, uh, been a part of to, to really train, develop, and, and bring along you know, talent acquisition um, professionals. One of the interesting things that when, when we were doing prep for the show that you had talked to me a little bit about was you know, the, the, that your dad was a, uh, a, a football coach. And I just was curious, um, and I think this is a, is a good segue into developing and, and bringing, you know, recruiters along and talent along, how you actually, um, you know, kind of, uh, um, you know, took some of that experience uh, in, in uh, you know, from your father, from, you know, uh, you know, kind of maybe how you supported even his career and launched that into, you know, your, your over 30 years of experience in talent acquisition and recruitment. Great, great question, Matt. Uh, so I want to say go Hornets. Uh, Sacramento State Hornets are ranked number six in the nation right now in the F FCS Bowl or the FCS uh, um, rankings. Um, I started, I got my first taste of recruitment at the age of 18 uh, when I had to attend a little workshop that was done by my, my dad and a couple of the other athletic coaches from other sports where we were enlisted to help recruit uh, and do campus tours with uh, college or soon to be college students, male and female, to share with them about the university. And so that was my first taste of putting on a polo shirt, putting on a pair of khaki pants and comfortable walking shoes and learning my campus and mm -hmm. learning some of the great programs that we had. And what was interesting was hearing from my dad and hearing from a few of the other coaches uh, Irene Shea, she was the, she was a renowned uh, softball coach and athletic director at the time. She told me, so the greatest gift that you could give to the people that you work with is to share with them the love and the passion uh, for the school and the program. Mm -hmm. And I've segued that into my career 
wherever you work, you, you have to believe in your mission. You have to believe in what it is that you're doing. So I've really taken that with me, Matt, throughout my career and instilled that in the people that I work with. You got to have fun. Um, and that was one of the things through the tours that I, I got to enjoy doing as a student is you couldn't just be monotone walking up the building and say, this is the music hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's walking up and saying, I've had some really bad classes here. Um, and, and having making fun with it. But as I've started to grow and into my career, I felt it was always important to, to find out what drives people and what interests them in recruitment. And I mm-hmm. think developing that passion uh, in the people that I've had on my teams and first and foremost, uh, always look, always be learning, um, you know, that always be sailing from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, but we always need to be learning to always be from that recruit like a champion today. Um, mm-hmm. Get, get your mantra down. And I, and I love that piece because when I, I've stayed in touch with uh, many of uh, the people that I've worked with, uh, you know, I, I, I look at uh, Tom Young, who was a mentor and Jim Callenberg, uh, two guys at Volt Services Group that instilled with me the team. Uh, you know, there is no I in team. Yes, me is in there. But when you come back to it, you celebrate the wins and you help each other move forward. And, and I think training and developing people, uh, that's been key to my success. And I root that back to kind of those from that, those, those football coaching moments from my dad. You're only as yeah. good as the people around you now. Yeah. Right now, right? You know, probably never a, a more difficult time for uh, healthcare recruiters, you know, high rec load, um, you know, uh, obviously intense pressure on the supply side of things. You know, I guess a couple of questions here, you know, as, as you're, you know, working with the, the, the team and, you know, the, they, they are feeling like it's a grind, right? Um, are there, you know, things that, that you do as a leader um, to help um, consistently reconnect them uh, to the mission? Or is there recommendations on how do, how do I keep that, you know, what matters most out in front um, versus maybe all this process stuff that, that I'm dealing with? You know, I think that's kind of question number one. And then I guess question number two, maybe for folks that are thinking about getting into recruitment, um, you know, is there a way that, you know, when you're interviewing folks or when you're assessing talent for the organizations that you represent, is there a way that you can identify that that, that person has it and maybe what it takes to, to be the uh, evangelical messenger of, of that organization you're representing? Sure. Two great questions. You know, the first one is, is how, do you, how do you keep your people uh, during this grind? Uh, none of us have ever faced this in our careers. Yes. There was nursing shortages in the mid 2000s. And if you work in a rural part of the United States, you always kind of always have uh, nursing shortages because the available talent in your area may not be there. But first and foremost, your team and keeping them motivated. I'd say so having a weekly huddle or a weekly staff meeting and having it with a purpose. Don't have a meeting to have a meeting and always lead off with something positive. Uh, so I think. I go back the last 10 years, having my team lead the meeting off Mm -hmm. with some kind of reflection that's important to them. And this is where it gets fun. I've had people lead us off with uh, Jeopardy. I've had uh, trivia. I've had people lead off with uh, old old dad jokes uh, that were tasteful. 
uh, made that appropriate. I had somebody share clips from the movie Office Space uh, as their opener. Uh, we've had prayer. We've had a lot of unique things to to kick off a meeting. So we start positive. Then we cover the topics that we need to. And at the end, this is important. I've, I've been doing this, uh, and I learned this from my dad, the good of the game. We end a meeting where everybody shares something personal or professional that's good in their life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you start with positive, you end with positive. People take away that feeling, the camaraderie together, and especially if you have teams that are geographically widespread. And maybe you have to start with a, doing a video call or a, a teleconference. The most unique one, though, is what, whose refrigerator is this? Uh, we had one of our teammates uh we all had to send in a picture of our refrigerator and we had to guess whose refrigerator it oh, was. Oh, I love that one. I I'm going to steal that one. That's beautiful. I snuck my cat, put my cat in there with a bowl of tuna. and My cat was just sitting there eating out of the out of the refrigerator and nobody guessed that was me. But, that was uh, you. So I, the other thing I think about motivating and staying connected with people is giving people well-being time. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, Various times throughout the month is picking, shutting your office down or telling people to disconnect at early. Mm-hmm. Um, people flex time because recruitment recruitment is not eight to five. Sometimes mm-hmm. you're calling candidates at seven in the morning. Sometimes you're having a conversation at seven at night. Make sure your people are flexing their time and taking their time off. And, and food, food is great. So when you have people that don't work in your location, send them food. There's mm-hmm. there's DoorDash and so many things that you could do on that. The second part, the second question that you had is, is how do you identify people with passion? So the secret sauce that, that we've all learned, uh, there was the Powers Consulting Group had a recruitment seminar in 1995. Sorry, sorry to date myself. It said recruitment is people selling people to people. And without okay. the relationship, without the relationship, you have nothing. Hmm. And whether you're an agency recruiter or you're somebody that is on our side of the corporate side, you want to be able to foster relationships. You can be an introvert, you can be an extrovert, but you certainly have to be outgoing enough to learn something about the person that you are serving because mm-hmm. recruitment is customer service. Some people say it's sales. Mm-hmm. But it's actually service. You're helping people find a new career. You're helping them find a new job, a promotion, doing internal mobility. So learn a little bit about them. Learn and understand what area they're going to work in so you can properly represent it. So when I'm interviewing people and trying to identify it, are they smiling in the interview? Are they smiling on that video call? Mm -hmm. Are they interested in me and interested in our organization? are all their responses just scripted? Mm-hmm. Uh, does it sound like I'm interviewing somebody off of off of they're reading something off of Google? So having yeah. some tough, having tough questions in there, and you know, not just uh, uh, what, what are your greatest strengths and weaknesses? Can't stand that. But tell me about a failure that you've had in your career or in your life, and how did you work through it? And you know, asking some of those tough questions because I. I think seeing how people deal with adversity and it it certainly gets there. But I I think that our ability from a recruitment leader side to to interview and assess people, uh, that's important because we get one bad egg 
on a recruitment team, it affects everybody else. And I can say not everybody is meant for recruitment and we might be a temporary stopover. Uh, So help encourage people to find that next career, even if it's not with your team. Yeah. And I, I agree. You know, I I don't think it's sales. You know, I, I think some of the best recruiters that I've ever been around are great listeners. They're great question askers. They're, they're great listeners and they're just fundamentally curious. They, they want to ask the next question, uh, you know, kind of in the sequence of, of, of questions. And some of the best interviews that I've ever been a part of, yes, they had structure to them. There was an agenda. There were certain things that we definitely wanted to, to, to address, but uh, it came through real dialogue. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I couldn't agree more. If, if you look at recruitment like sales, I, I think you're, you're, missing the, you're missing the point uh, as it relates to what value recruiters actually bring to the organization. I don't need to sell you on, you know, this idea, but I do need to make sure you're educated. I need to make sure that you understand fundamentally what we're about, who we are, what this team looks like. Um, that's my job. It's your job to understand if that's a good fit for you or not. Uh, you made a point there, Matt, that I, I think that listening uh, is the, is one of the key things that you can have because you're observing somebody when you're listening, you're, you're paying attention, you're taking your notes. So I'm listening for zingers in an interview. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm looking for uh, counter information uh, to the question I'm asking. And if I'm talking, then I'm not listening. So mm-hmm. staying back and listening and taking notes and capturing that information. You, you said you said that as you listen and, and, and you listen in for those cues, as people start to get comfortable, they become their true authentic self. Mm-hmm. And if you let them go and if you let them talk, then you can do your exploratory question a little bit further and, and, and really dig down. And I never want to see somebody fail in an interview, but I do want someone to be their authentic self because yeah. then we can assess if that's the right thing for them, not the right thing for me. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that you had said that, that I, um, I found really interesting was, um, and I, I picked this up when I uh, started working at, at Trinity Health, was the, the idea of starting a meeting um, with a reflection. And, uh, I, you know, when I first got here, um, it was kind of, it's a cultural thing at Trinity and, you know, large, you know, Catholic, you know, healthcare system. And, um, you know, obviously centered around, you know, uh, spiritual, spirituality, prayer, you know, that type of thing. But same, same idea here, right, which is make it your own. But I find you get so much positive energy um, from just those first few seconds, moments, minutes from starting a meeting with a positive reflection. It really sets the tone for the entire meeting. And, and uh, I, uh, I can't stress um, how important that has been for me to pick that up because I didn't do that before. Um, we just launch right into business and just start getting down to agenda or whatever. And it just, for whatever reason, it doesn't unite and bring the team together the way pausing at the at the beginning, top of the hour, or whatever, for a brief reflection. It's it's powerful. Yeah. Well, and another thing, um, one of your previous uh, podcast mates, uh, who's who is a talent acquisition leader that I admire, a gentleman named Ryan Corbett. I I loved his approach when we would do our leadership calls, and you're you're talking operation reports, weekly activity reports, and you're getting down to present something. Ryan brought levity to it from 
from that welcoming and friendship aspect. And he would he would razz me, and he mm-hmm. would razz others on the team. And I loved I loved that because you knew you were in with someone like Ryan. Uh, if you did just some innocent teasing, and it was it was a great way of fellowship. And so that's another thing is is, is bring a little humor to it. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't take ourselves so seriously. You, you do need to get a gauge for the people that are on the other end of that. It, it's not about teasing people. It's about bringing the smile because we in leadership, we have a lot on our plate. You know, I have I have the lives of 12 people in their family that I have to make sure that, that they're feeling rewarded, that, that they're going home with a smile. Mm-hmm. And then the other folks that I work with in our people and culture team, that people and talent team, though, the broader HR piece, I've got other leaders that I have to collaborate with. And, and I think uh, getting to know them a little bit, I, I brought a little bit of that Ryan. Um, maybe I take it a little bit far with the sports thing because I, I can truly say roll tide because I'm an investor in that university <laughs> with the water that goes to school there. And that, I get backlash for that being here in Georgia. because I can imagine on. you're in SEC country. That's uh, probably a dangerous thing for you. So we'll, we'll, we'll watch your back here for sure. Thank you. While we're uh, while we're talking about our mutual friend uh, Ryan, uh, who I, I love, and uh, he was uh, you know guest number one on on this podcast for a lot of different reasons. Number one, just great all around leader, human, and uh, you know uh, fun to be around. But you know, I were texting back and forth a, a little bit, and I told him that I had you on the show, and if there was any any good questions that that he wanted me to to ask you, and that, the the question actually, I think based upon your experience experience is, is one that you're uniquely positioned to, to answer. And what he wanted to know was, you know, hey, uh, how different is it actually recruiting healthcare professionals, specifically in California, than it is in rural Georgia or, you know, in some of these other places that you've served? Is there anything that, you know, strikes you as, as uh, you know, fundamentally different? And I never really thought about that, that, you know, a lot, you know, recruitment obviously always is local, but we just talk about healthcare recruitment. We don't talk about sometimes the the differences and the different challenges that, that folks have in different regions of the U.S. So you have any any insight into that? Sure. That's a fantastic question because I, I think that, you know, recruitment, the principles of it are, are the same, regardless of which industry you work in, whether it's technology, aerospace, higher education, healthcare, banking and finance, even manufacturing in the trades. But recruiting in California and recruiting in metropolitan areas is a little bit unique because you, you may have big competitors. Mm-hmm. And you may have competitors that aren't your own industry. For example, working at, I worked at UC Berkeley, um, Go Bears. And my competitors weren't, yes, might have been Stanford, might have been San Jose State, might have been a few other higher ed components. But my competitors were Genentech, Google, Facebook, Wells Fargo. So your em- employee value proposition and your brand really has to tell the story. And, and, and I think, you have to, we're always going to be doing geographic recruitment. Some people want to migrate to a city. Some people want to leave a city. Some people want to be more rural. It'll be interesting to see the big swing to remote workers. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, healthcare is going to be brick and mortar. So when you're recruiting, you just you just have to have a true understanding of your community and 
being able to sell that specific because I've worked in Washington, uh, Arizona, New Mexico, Nevada, Massachusetts, Colorado, Missouri, Kansas, Georgia. You know, when you're looking at all these different states that you worked at, the one principle that stays true is you need to know your geographic location hmm. and what's in it. Because, yeah, people want to know about the weather. People want to hmm. know what they could do. If I'm going to recruit a 23-year-old nurse uh, fresh out of Dallas to come to Albany, Georgia, that's a big change because that person is coming from a large metropolitan area and they're single. Mm -hmm. But if I'm recruiting that same person in Sacramento, California, there's so much to offer that person. There's so many different things to do. So make sure that you're, you're, you're providing them with things that are of interest to them and really finding out what that is. And then again, flip it to a mid thirties, mid career, somebody that's got school age children, schools, communities, having all that ready to go because it's not just about your job. It's how you mm -hmm. place someone in the community and you get them to have that sense of belonging. We talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but the last piece that tends to get forgotten in DEI is the belonging. So people need to feel like they belong in the community because if they don't, they're going to move. Yeah. Wow. T a ton of wisdom there, Bruce. And I, I, I appreciate that uh, very much. Join hundreds of your healthcare TA peers and enjoy the benefits of a NACR membership today. Free educational webinars, access to our listserv, and discounts to your CHCR certification. All of this and much, much more for as low as $80 per person annually. Learn more at NACR.com. That's N-A-H-C-R.com. We're well over a half hour, and um, you know I think uh, I'm going to uh, look for. I got a couple more questions to maybe land this plane here today, and uh, uh, you know at least for episode number one uh, uh, between you and I, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, I'll finish it up. And I guess the, the the first question you know that I have is you know, and, and I've been really for each talent acquisition leader um, that I've been talking to. Obviously, especially in the nursing side, right, in, in these clinician sides, you know, the, the supply. Um, dynamic is just, you know, really, um, you know, continues to be eye-opening um, and and uh, vacancy levels so very high. You know, if you're to look ahead into your crystal ball, um, you know, what, what are you thinking, uh, you know, the most successful healthcare organizations will need to do um, to be able to effectively continue to staff their facilities? Is there anything that's that comes to mind or any strategies maybe that you might be willing to share with the audience? Yes, thank you. Uh, that, that's probably the most salient question that we'll, we'll discuss. And even though you and I might be competitors, it's the wisdom that's going to help us in sharing that. First and foremost, you and I cannot out-recruit turnover. Mm -hmm. So employee engagement it has to be the, the first component that we all have to work on with our nursing leadership. They have to evangelize and recruit people to stay every day. Mm -hmm. Secondly, turning over those wonderful travelers, first and foremost, they were looking for more money, but now they may have found a home. So how can you convert them to come to you with a bridge program and, and getting them to stay because they may like your community. They may dive in. Uh, so why not keep them, especially if they're good? I think that all of us need to develop our localized uh, nursing programs through new grads. That's our lifeblood. Uh, we're going to have that person for maybe three to five years, if you do it right, longer. 
Mm-hmm. So then the big investment has to come with your localized nursing programs because just depending on the size of your facility, that's going to meet your growth needs every year. Uh, for example, for us, uh, we're going to hire 100 to 150 new grads every year. Mm. Uh, that's one big chunk in our turnover. That's one big chunk in our vacancies. So, mm-hmm. you know, looking at keeping people, looking at internal mobility, being flexible with your shifts, 12, 10, 8, to make people happy. Uh, traveler conversions are all on top of mind for us. Please do some new grad recruitment and do it well. And lastly, go out of state. Um, mm-hmm. You know, go out of state. Go go look for people that want to change. Uh, not everybody wants to live and stay in Seattle all their life or Pittsburgh or Sacramento. There, there are some merits to each of our own worlds that we can share and, and, and bring people to your new community, but be sure you welcome them. Yeah. Yeah. So well said. We, we had an episode here just um, uh, last week, a uh, week before, um, in and around apprenticeship programs as well. And so, you know, I think back to your earlier point around, you know, finding people that have the, the right behavioral traits, they have the, the Phoebe lifeblood in them, right? Um, and then, you know, taking that nursing support or that EVS worker and then allowing them to grow inside of your organization also is a very, uh, I think, important tactic as we look forward. I mean, this, this idea of us together, um, which, which I really like as well, continuing to evangelize, you know, uh, create the message around why healthcare careers imp- are important and why they're great. Um, you know, so that, um, and, and, you know, I don't know that we've done a lot of that at scale together. Um, and, and so maybe there's an opportunity there. So great. One last question. So, uh, if you could go rogue on something, meaning, you know, Hey, uh, if I could, I, I know there's this one thing that I uh, could do that would make an immediate impact might require a little bit of an investment, um, you know, and, and you could wave a magic wand and do it to positively impact your organization. What, what might that one thing be? So I, I, I think it comes back to robust retention bonuses and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll get in trouble for this, but, uh, I, I think that we're seeing, we're seeing our war on talent is escalated. It's gone nuclear sign on mm-hmm. bonus are at an all time high, never seen anything like it. So why don't we invest in, in on the retention side? Mm-hmm. And not make it just about keeping people there. Uh, you know, make it about a little bit about performance. Make it a little bit about culture and your HCAP scores. And let's start rewarding people for their longevity because many of us, we've sunset our pension programs. Uh, we've scaled back on, on benefits, but we all have pretty decent benefits. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's look at if I could wave that wand, I would go with retention especially as we've come out of COVID, um, you know, because I, I think people want to see that reward in their pocket. And even some of the smallest bonuses that come, that that helps someone pay off a bill, it helps them pay off a debt, and it makes them feel rewarded and appreciated. So mm-hmm. that, that, that would be my one thing I, I think that we all could do better. Um, you know, maybe uh, those reimbursements that we all see from the government, that's something we could apply that to. Or apply some pressure there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is, there, is there anything that, uh, you know, we didn't cover that you wanted to cover here or maybe questions I should have asked that I didn't ask, Bruce? Sure. I just, uh, my advice to all of you who are traveling for a board presentation, 
um, make sure you do a carry on because you never know when you're going to be in a boardroom with all the C-suites presenting. You have flip flops, a pair of uh, cargo shorts and a golf shirt. Uh, thankfully, Ryan provided me with his size 58 jacket when I'm a 42, and I got to wear that big boy in, in, in a boardroom and present. Uh, but that, 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 I, 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 one thing I would say is, is the fellowship, all of us out here in recruiter land, uh, share and exchange ideas. Uh, yeah. There is no, there is no secret sauce. There is no silver bullet, uh, for the purple uniform. Uh, although they share an exchange of ideas, staying positive with each other and, and uplifting one another. I think that's, that's, that's how we continue to work through this. Um, and, you know, helping your team grow, uh, yep. the more that we, the more that we do that, uh, it, the reflection comes back to you. So, uh, thank that's you. beautiful. Jeff. And when I was doing my research, uh, on you, Bruce, uh, that was, uh, the first story that I got out of Ryan's mouth was your, uh, your, your uh, snafu there on losing your luggage. And, uh, he, uh, he was saying, uh, that you were quick on your feet and you were flexible. And so, uh, uh, I, I knew it was somebody we needed to get on the show. So Bruce, hey, I appreciate you coming on today. It's been a great chat and a lot to unpack here. And uh, if uh, folks want to engage you or to that point network, what's the easiest way to get a hold of Bruce? So I'm I'm out there active on LinkedIn. Please please go ahead and hit me up on LinkedIn and add me. Um, you know I, I also I'm, I'm a pretty public and accessible person, so uh, we can we can put out my email and my cell phone. I'm always open to networking, Matt. I'm always open to sharing and exchanging ideas about how we can recruit better. Uh, right. And it comes back to that last saying: recruit like a champion today. Nice. Great place to land. Bruce, hey, thanks for joining today, and uh, I'm sure we'll see you around soon. Hey, thank you very much, Matt. Great day. All right. We want to thank you for listening to TA in the Trenches. We are produced by Iron Mike and his team at Ironbound Media. Keep up the great work, team. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and check out all of our episodes at knacker.com. That's N-A-H-C-R.com. You also can find me out on LinkedIn where you'll find quick show riffs. Feel free to ping me. I always respond. Bye for now.